Road to Life. We love you. We're so glad to be back together on our podcast. We're here with Pastor Mike Shepline, and we're going to hear the message from Sunday where you can be inspired through the Word of God and maybe even a funny story. For more information, visit RoadToLifeChurch.com, and we'll see you next week. We have been in a series and the title of it is Valley of Blessing. And I'm not going to spend a ton of time, but the, the premise is, is that life is about mountaintop experiences, meaning exhilarating, pumped, oh my gosh, this is incredible experience, an incredible experience. But it's also about valley experiences in our life. And what we see throughout the Bible is that part of God's plan for our life is for us to be personally aware of him when we're on a mountaintop experience. I find this, that if I have a mountaintop experience and I'm not personally aware of God, I can do dumb things on the top of the mountain. How many of you know what I'm saying? But then equally is to be personally also aware of him that he is leading me when I go through a valley experience or when I go through something that I maybe don't really like where we learn that he is that we learn that he is faithful. You know, we can look from the book of Genesis all the way book of through the book of Revelation and find out that God created us to experience the spectrum of both. He created me to live and be incredibly exhilarated about all the great things that he does in my life, but he equally over on the other spectrum is he created me to know that he's faithful and to grow when the circumstances around me are maybe difficult or challenging. We found in the book of Ecclesiastes, he uh, chapter 3 is Solomon is talking about all of the different seasons of life, and he's reflecting, and he's saying there's a time to be born celebratory, there's a time to die, there's a time to laugh, there's a time to mourn. Job said it like this, he said, as sparks fly upward, so man is born to adversity, or we're going to go through adversity. David said it like this, he said that when I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I won't fear any evil because God, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And so if you, you look at Jesus, it says that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered, not just the cross, but things. How many of you have ever been around somebody and just being around them suffering to you? How many of you know what I'm saying? I read the disciples and I'm like, oh my gosh, he never, you know, it, I mean, if you look at Jesus is that he basically went through everything. And God has a redemptive plan and purpose for the valleys that we go through in life. And I've noticed many times that when when we talk about valley experiences, that God is wanting to lead us is we have to be open to him in it. I like in Romans 8, 28, it says this, and we know with great confidence that God, who is deeply concerned about us, causes all things, not some things, not 50% of the things, not the things that I like, but he said, I'll cause 
all things to work together as a plan for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his plan and his purpose. If you jump down to verse 38, it says this, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good for, for of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. And I am convinced that neither... Uh, I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death nor life, angels or demons, fears of for today nor worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. I honestly think that if we look back in, in our life is that when, and I'm going to just put myself in this, is I think that when we go through a valley experience in, my, in our life, is my opinion is our greatest struggle is go, in going through a valley experience is because we already have well-worn paths of how we handle those. How many of you know what I'm saying? And if we handle those, maybe we, you know, when we're going, when we got a valley experience, we pick up this particular attitude, maybe a particular outlook in our life. Maybe we've got these expectations. All of a sudden, our words in our mouth begin to go in that direction. And we can have a tendency to go on autopilot and not even mean it when we go through a valley experience. And it's huge that when we, whether we have a mountaintop experience or a valley experience, we stop and we say, is my well-worn plan of the way that I handle this experience, is it leading me more toward God and growing faith in God? Or is it leading me away from God and away from really where I want to go. And we've got a purpose that in order for us to sense God to the degree that he wants me to sense him in my life, I must intentionally tune into him and not give in to old habits and not give in to old um, attitudes, to not give in to old temptations and to not give in to old stuff that knocks. How many of you are with me on that? Because we've got a well-worn path. We just got, when this happens and this happens, how many of you know our brain just kind of goes in that direction? And God is like, one of God's goals in our life is to teach us that he's faithful when things either aren't fair or things go wrong or we disagree and he's going to lead us to grow. Valley experiences us, can set us up for growth many times unlike any other area of our life. They can just set us up for it. And the reason is, is we're desperate. How many of you know what I'm saying? I remember um, this was a lot of years ago. And when I say a lot, it was a lot. It was, um, we had this neighbor and we had tried to witness to them, to witness to them, to witness to him, them. And uh, he was a heavy, heavy, heavy smoker. And she was too. And his name was Daryl and her name was Joe or Joe, Joyce, but he called her Joe. Well, we, they had three little kids and we progressively led each one of these kids to the Lord. And they had a little five-year-old kid and would be singing in their, back, in their backyard, and we would hear them scream at her. They would cuss at her. Shut the, I don't want to hear that in my house. 
They were just like, how many, you know what I'm saying? They were, the, they were those neighbors that if you parked an inch in front of their house on the curb, they parked their car in front of your house for two or three weeks. How many of you know what I'm saying? They were, they were that kind of a neighbor. Well, he decided, or she decided, she was done with him. I'm out of here. And she left him. And he came, they came, he came over to the door and he said, I don't know about all this religion stuff that you guys are all about, but man, I need prayer. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? That situation opened his heart. It opened his heart. And sometimes valley experiences open our heart like nothing else does because we're at our wit's end. I don't know what I'm going to do. The only one that's there. Do you know that they say that 90% of atheists pray in dire situations of death? They pray. I think to myself, who are you praying to? You say, it's like atheism is convenience, is it not? It's like when it's convenient, whatever. And so last week, we began to look at a guy by the name of Jehoshaphat. Everybody say Jehoshaphat. And what we found out is that um, when he faced a valley experience, and we looked, and I'm not going to spend much time on it, but we found in 2 Chronicles 19, he had this incredible mountaintop experience. And immediately following that, the Bible tells us that three different kings mounted their armies and came against him in literally the next verse, chapter 20, verse 1. He went from a mountaintop experience to an immediate valley experience. Is not that the whiplash that messes with us? Because it's like, okay, if it's, a, if it's a steady little valley experience, but when it goes like this to this is where we're like, what is going on? And so what we found out is that is what he had. And in chapter 20, they turned to God and he turned what was a valley, what was a valley experience. And what I love about it is you read all the way down in verse 25 and verse 26 is that God blessed them so much through it that they called it the valley of blessing. And it says that that, that name, if you go to Israel, you can still go to that location and it's called the valley of blessing. But the very first thing that they had to deal with, and we talked about about it last week was fear. God led him and we began to glean some universal truths that we can apply to our lives when we're facing valley experiences that are then coming alongside fear and is trying to grab the steering wheel of our life, of our expectations, of our belief, of our future. It's trying to grab the steering wheel. And so in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 1 and 2, it explains how bad the situation was. And then in verse 3 and verse 4, he, he, we identified two things that we have to pay attention. And I'm just going to read verse 3. It says, Jehoshaphat was terrified by the news, and he begged the Lord for guidance. And we found out number one is that while in a valley and facing fear, he saw God. God's guidance as the answer. God will guide us, but we've got to ask him. He'll guide us. The second thing in verse four is it says, so for the people from all the towns of Judah, Jerusalem came to seek the Lord's help. He, and this was number two, is he had other godly people in his life that pray, that seek God, and that would walk it out with him. Y'all, we're made relational. You are made relational. 
I am made relational. You're going to have relationships. The key is, are they with the right people? How many of you know what I'm saying? It's like, and let's pick up now in verse 5, and this is where we left off last week, Second Chronicles 25. It says, Jehoshaphat stood before the community of Judah and Jerusalem and in front of the new courtyard at the temple of the Lord. I'm just going to say this. This is number three, is I must take a stand. When we're going through a valley experience, if we don't take a stand, our emotions will lead us into a whiplash cycle and we will not stabilize. Notice what it said is it says that he took a stand. He stood up and took a stand. In in verse 3, it says that he begged the Lord for guidance and there's a time to ask God for guidance but then we have to take a stand in our life and it says that he's it says that he took a stand and notice it lists three areas that he took a stand in first it says that he took a stand in his community Judah second is he took a stand in Jerusalem that was his home or where he lived and third is he took a stand before the Lord is we have to stop and whenever we're going through a valley experience, we have to take a stand and we have to take a stand in our community. We have to take a stand in our home and we have to take a stand with the Lord. He didn't wait for something to change or someone else to take a stand. He took a stand. I, you know, sometimes in our lives, we go through valley experiences and what we do is we wait for somebody else that's going to encourage us or somebody else that's going to help us, maybe our husband, our wife, our boyfriend, or our girlfriend. And what valley experiences do is they teach us how to take a stand. And maybe you're here right now and you say, you know, I take a stand in my home. I take a stand with the Lord. But do you take a stand with the community of people around you? I'm not saying don't be open and honest about where you're at, but you've got to take a stand that, you know what, in this valley experience, God is with me in it. God is going to lead me through it. And I'm going to focus on where I'm going. I like to just sum it up with one word. And it's the word grit. Everybody say grit. Not grits. Grits are what you get down south. Okay. But the word grit, and I'm just going to use it as an acronym. Number grit. G is get up. R is refocus. God hasn't changed. I is in the right direction. I got to focus in the right direction. And, and when you look at the last one, don't procrastinate or waste time. Don't waste time. Don't just sit back and just waste time. Whenever we're in a valley, one thing fear tries to do is to convince us that we can't stand. You can't stand. You, can't, you don't know what to stand on. You can't stand. You have to go back to the Lord and, and be able to say, okay, God, I'm going to take a stand here. Before we ever take a stand on the outside, we have to take a stand on the inside. Before we ever, sometimes, you know, people, you know, and you, you can tell they have a stand on the outside because they don't want anybody to think. But we got to back up and say, it's the inside stand that first counts. And when the inside stand is there, the outside stand shows up. Nothing can replace where I'm at on the inside. It's not just stand when certain people are around you or purpose to stand, 
but it's purpose to stand when you don't feel like standing. And I think all of us, how many of you know, when you're going through a valley experience, we don't feel like standing. How many of you are with me on that? It's like valley experiences mean the feel like has drained out of the bathtub. And, got, and it's like, okay, now, now is when, when it, and this is, what, this is what Jehoshaphat did. Look at what it says, and I want to read in um, verse 6 through verse 12. 2 Chronicles 26 through 12. It says, he prayed. So he took a stand. He cried out for God's guidance. He's taken a stand. And it says, he prayed, O Lord, God of our ancestors, you alone are the God who is in heaven You are ruler of all kingdoms of the earth. You are powerful and mighty. No one can stand against you. Notice what he did, and this isn't my point, is he magnified God. You you think about magnifying God. You magnifying God, whenever we're in a valley experience, our situation is trying to magnify itself in our thinking. It's trying to magnify and be bigger. What he did is he stopped and he said, you know what? Okay, I've got these three kings that are trying to kick my butt and run us out of our land. And so even while I'm facing this, I'm going to remember and magnify God in my life. Verse 7, oh, our God. Did you not drive out those who lived in this land when your people Israel arrived? And did you not give the land forever to the descendants of your friend Abraham? Your people settled here and built this temple to honor your name. Verse 9, they said, whenever we are faced with any calamity such as war, plague, or famine, we can come and stand in your presence before this temple where your name is honored. We can cry out to you to save us, and you will hear us and rescue us. Verse 10, and now see what the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir are doing. You would not let our ancestors invade those nations when Israel left Egypt, so they went around them and did not destroy them. Now see how they reward us, for they have come to throw us out of your land, which you gave us as an inheritance. Verse 12, oh, our God, won't you stop them? We are powerless against this mighty army that is about to attack us. We do not know what to do, but we are looking to you for help. Man, that is a mouthful right there. You know, you think about how many of you before have ever been in a situation and you thought, I'm powerless. I don't, got, I don't have any cards. I can't do anything about this. This is where he was. He said, I'm powerless. And this is number four, is he remembered what God had done and who he is. Notice I didn't say, you mean who he was. No, who he is. Who he is. Who is God to you? Who is he to you? It's not just who, what God has done, and we need to know the history, but who is he to you? Was is what he did yesterday and that's really, really important. I think all of us can look and reflect on what God did in our life yesterday. But who is God today in your life? Who is he today? You know, when Israel came out of Egypt, the Bible says that God fed them manna every single morning. And it only lasted one, it only lasted one day. And they had to go out and get it again the next day. I think there's this 
misnomer that our relationship with God is only as fresh as who he is in me today. It's only as fresh as my connection today. I'm not saying we don't go through difficult times, but what I'm saying is God has a fresh blessing, a fresh touch, a fresh word, and a fresh strength for our life every single day. And that God wants us to stop. And it's not just, God, what you've done in my life. It's not just, I can see everything back there. But Lord, who you are right now in my life is this. And what I loved is he remembered what God had done, but he also remembered who God is to him right now. And I wonder today when we're going, what fear tries to do is to convince you you're all alone. Fear tries to convince you it's all up to you. And what God did yesterday is really, really important. But who he is right now in the valley experience you're facing, in the fear that you're facing, is huge. And there's something about, and what I love about this is it says that he stood up in his community, in his home, and he stood up in a public arena, and he began to declare who God is. Not only what God had done, but who God is. And I wonder today how many of us are standing up when we go through a valley experience, we don't feel like it, the circumstances say it's not going to work out, and we just like Jehoshaphat, we stand up and we begin to declare, God, you did this, you did this, you've done this in my life, you've brought me through here, I didn't think that was going to work out, Lord, I almost died there, Lord, it wasn't going to happen here, Lord, I can look at my parents, I can look at my brother brothers and sisters. I can look at your word and I can see the history. And not only that, Lord, but you met with me today. Lord, you're in my life today. And there's something about declaring that out of our mouth that charges the life around us, the environment around us so that we can't sit down. Sometimes we will pray and we will we'll meditate on the word, but we're not declaring over our life what God has said, what God has promised. And it almost has a waking up effect and an energizing effect to us spiritually when we declare out of our mouth in agreement with what God has said, what God has promised to do, and the direction we want to go in. Amen. You can say okay. Are you with me today? And sometimes it's just a matter. Some of us right now, when we go through a valley experience, you say, I'm just not feeling like it. I, I hear you. I've been there. Not feeling it. But I learned if I just do what I feel like, I'm going to stay where I don't want to be. But if I do, and I look at the example and say, okay, I need to declare over my life the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, and what God is, I need to begin to declare. Some of us right now, you're in a valley experience, and you're just magnifying the valley experience, talking about everything you don't like. And I want to be clear, you need to talk, but with the conclusion that I'm going to have faith in God. And then you need to stop and say, like him, is take a stand up and say, okay, God, not just who God is, but who he is to you in your life. It's important to remember that, that God has done, you know, when you think about it, what God has not only done, but who he is, and it causes our soul to cross a bridge. 
It causes on the inside in our personal life where we stop and we say, I'm going to engage and cross that bridge. He magnified who God was when his valley experience was screaming fear. It was screaming fear. And I wonder today, right now, how many of us need to, you know, um, my wife, uh, when I, and some of you before, I, I used, I was in business. Um, I, I mean, when we got married, I went into business and I was in business in California. And when we first started off, times were tough. And my wife did the books. And so she would say to me, I'd come home and she would say, did you get a check? You know what I'm saying? I'm like 23 years old, 24 years old. She's like, did you get a check? I said, nope, not yet, but it's coming, baby. And she would say, well, we need da-da-da-da-da. And you got liability and you got this and you got all this. And I would say to her, and, and this is not a slight on any nationality, but back then in San Diego, there was a nationality that was coming over from the Middle East and um, mostly Saudi Arabia, and they were just buying up just massive amounts and big houses. And so she would come, I would come home and she would say, did you get a check? And um, I'd say, no, not yet. And she'd say, well, how much is coming in? And I would say, billions, baby, billions, with my Middle Eastern accent. <laughs> I would say, and she would say, no, I'm serious. I would say, I am too. Billions, baby, billions. <laughs> Some of us right now, you need to declare out of your mouth what God has said about your valley experience. You say, what happened? Eventually, it all went in the right, everything. You know, God is faithful to his word. We always, I said, baby, we tithe. We're tithers. God promised to rebuke the devourer and pour out a blessing. We're anchored. And sure enough, God always came through. He always came through. And, and I, you know, you think about it. If we're stuck and we can only see the valley, we need the connection that many times just getting quiet before the Lord. I don't know about you. I don't know what your quiet time is. You know, some people that, you know, their quiet time is going out on a golf course. Hey, that's awesome. If you want to go out on a golf course and you connect with Jesus out there, you go do that. Other people, it's sitting in a cup of coffee in a rocker or whatever. Other people, you know, ride bikes or other people. But whatever it is, it's anchoring and meditating on God's word, what he's promised to do and what he said. And there's an open connection, and you just kind of shed all of the stuff of the world. Verse 13 through verse 15, 2 Chronicles. So number four, he remembered what God had done and who he is. If you're in a valley right now, you got to remember what God has done and who he is. He didn't bring you this far to let you down. Verse 13, it says, As all the men of Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Wow. You ever think about that? There are three Moab, Ammonite, Mount Seir armies are coming against them. They said, there's no way we're going to be wiped out. All of the people gather. This is hundreds of thousands, maybe a million people. They all gather, and they've got their kids. They've got it all. Everybody is there. And look at what it says. The Spirit of the Lord came upon one man standing there. His name was Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah a Levite who was a descendant of Asaph. He said, listen, 
all you people of Judah and Jerusalem. Listen, King Jehoshaphat. This is what the Lord says. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by, the, by this mighty army, for the battle is not yours, but it's God's. I want to explain something for a moment. In the Old Testament, the, if you, I mean, if you, if you study the Bible, the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament leading in our life is that Jesus had not come in the Old Testament. They were waiting for a promise for their sins to be forgiven. Through Adam, sin broke the relationship where the presence of God was no longer in them because of sin. So they were waiting in faith, believing that God was going to send his son, Jesus. And so they, if you study, what you find out is since Jesus hadn't come yet, the Holy Spirit didn't live in them, and they were dependent upon the priests, the prophets, and what they called seers to give them direction. In the New Testament, after we've accepted Jesus as our Savior, the Bible says that we have been adopted by God. The Holy Spirit has come into our life. And that if you study that we are children of God, and the Bible says God will lead us by his Spirit, and he'll lead us by his word. I'm not against we getting words in our life where someone gives you a word, but it confirms what God has already spoken in your heart and in your life. See, it's it when you stop and you think about it, is it's new to us when we talk about following the Lord. It's new to us, and we're learning to trust him. We're learning to follow his leading. We're not perfect, but we're growing. All of us are growing. And I liken it to this. It's like a child learning to walk. You know, right now, my wife's not here because we're watching our oldest daughter's two uh two little girls and and my wife just like on cloud nine with the uh with her grandkids and um and one and <laughs> they on their honeymoon they love to camp with in tents with no bathrooms no electricity how many of y'all are like not my idea of a honeymoon but they live in the city and so they drop the, and so my wife's got their their kids and the littlest one is amani that's her name amani and when she was first learning to walk, she would stand up and take one or two steps and go right back down. As parents, we would look at that, or grandparents, and we would be like, "Woo! how many of you know what I'm saying? It's, why? Because there was a step in the right direction. Do you know that that's the way God is in our life? That when we just say, Lord, I just want to follow you, and we're just willing to take the step. Well, I made a mistake. You took a step. You got up. You tried. This is number five. Is God will lead us and it will always be in agreement with his word. It might be simple. It might not, it might, you know, not be not very complex. But God is wanting us to stand. He's wanting us to trust. He's wanting us to guard our heart. It might very be very practical and very personal in your life but it will never violate the principles of his word. His word keeps us safe 
Because when we're in a valley and when we're facing fear, if we don't watch it, we can get desperate and begin to do things that are not God, but we call them God. And if we would have just looked in his word, we could clearly see it wasn't him. Is notice that God led them, consulted the people, and then there was a strategy and they followed God in their life. God leads and speaks in many ways, but we always lay it next to his revealed will, which is his word. We lay it next to God. This is your, and and the, the reason I say this is very simply that, you know, as a pastor, I've seen people, they've come up to me and they said, God told me to do this. And it's in violation to the word with the word. (laughs) I had somebody come up to me one time and there was a gal at church and she'd come and she was married, but her husband didn't come to church. And somebody came up to me and it was a single guy. And he said, the Lord spoke to me and told me that she's supposed to be my wife. He didn't know she was married. I looked at him and said, I think that was God. He looked at me like, what? Are you doubting that I listened to God? I said, she's married. (laughs) She's married. He looked at me and he said, well, I know what the Lord said. How many of you know, that's heading for asphalt. How many of you are with me on that? (laughs) I remember just looking at him saying, the Bible says, see, sometimes in our lives, We have to stop and lay what we believe God's telling us to do next to his word. God, what does your word say? What is your word saying? And you know, you you stop and think about it. I mean, can I just be super blunt right now? People come to me and say, we're not married, but the Lord told us we could move in together. Said, what does the Bible say? Are you with me with that? You want to, how many of you are with me? Everybody look straight ahead. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's like we stop and we have to say, okay, God, I realize right now I'm in a valley experience and the temptation, but Lord, I've got to tune in when other things are screaming in my life. Stand to your feet, if you would. Stand to your feet. Are you with me today? You know, you think about it in our lives. I wish that I could stand up here and say that life is just about mountaintop experiences. How many of you would just be like, let me ask you a quick question. If life was, when you came to Jesus, if it was just about mountaintop experiences, wouldn't the entire world come to Jesus just to avoid the valleys of life? Life is about both but God has a new way that he wants to lead us. He wants to grow us. He wants us to go through them in a totally different way so that we grow by them. I wanna pray right now. Lord, today we thank you for your word that is alive and that is powerful. Lord, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. And Lord, we invite you, your grace, your mercy in our life to help us. Lord, I thank you for every person that is here right now. And Lord, I know that there are some that are here today that, Lord, it is a mountaintop. There are others that it is a valley. But the most important thing is where is our relationship with you? I wonder today if you're here and you've never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life. You've never come and said, Lord, I give you my heart. I give you my life. Or maybe you're here And you've done that, but you know that you're not where you should be. And you need to make a U-turn 
and get back on course. I want to pray with you right where you're at. If that's you, on the count of three, I want you to lift your hand. We are all going to pray together, but lifting your hand says, Lord, I come out of just a comfortable commitment and I go all in with you. If that's you, one, two, three, lift your hand to the Lord. Thank you, God. Thank you for your love, for your grace, for your Holy Spirit. I want to lead us all in this prayer. Say this with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God's son, that you went to the cross to pay for my mistakes. And I'm asking you, forgive me of my sins. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Lead me, Lord. I give you my heart and the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, amen.